thing as we celebrate Mother's Day, um, we have a very special person, a uh, person that I met last year. And uh, when I first met her, um, it, it was like, you, you ever like meet a person like afterwards, like you get super energized. And uh, th- this, this person is like, it's like so bubbly, uh, giggly, and just kind of high spirited. So when I met her and after the uh, conversation, it's a conversation, I'm going, man, you know, I've met somebody who's really, really encouraging and edifying. And this person actually came last year. And when we actually did the social justice uh, sermon series, she came and she spoke. Uh, she is the regional director of Foster the City in, in the Bay Area. Um, she is a mom uh, married to Doug, who's also a pastor. Um, and also we have two uh, children, I believe it's Grace and Kayla Joy. And also they have the youngest, who's actually Isaac as well. And she actually did her undergrad at Moody's, and also she has her MA in um, Western Theological Seminary right here. So, hey, you know, enough, uh, enough, enough. Uh, would you welcome Christine from Foster the City? Uh, thank you, Pastor Ben. What a gracious introduction. Thank you, my brother. Well, it's so good to be with you all this morning. Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to you. I am delighted um, to spend a Mother's Day speaking um, on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves, precious kids in foster care. But I really want to start together um, a time in Psalm 139. But before I go there, I just want to remind you, those of you who are mamas in the room today, that God has handpicked you to be your kid's mom. God handpicked you. He chose you. No matter what, through it all, the good, the bad, and the mundane, so much of mothering is mundane, isn't it? Through the heartbreak and in the breathtaking joy, all of your mothering journey, you are the perfect mom for the child that God has given to you, even in your imperfections. I have a picture of my kiddos that I brought with me this morning. I'm a biological mother, a foster mama, and an adoptive mama. And I don't know anything that has formed me more as a human being than mothering. The worst parts of me have come out as a mama. My kids can testify to that. And the best parts of me have come out in my journey. And I think that's really normal. God is shaping your kids through your life, mamas. And God is shaping you through your kids' lives. Parenting in general is such an incredible journey towards spiritual formation if we will surrender to the work of God in us and through us as parents. I do want to acknowledge, like has already been said this morning in that beautiful prayer and in other ways, um, that this day, while simultaneously one of great celebration, can be one of great heartache for a myriad of different reasons that we bring with us this morning. And I just want you to know that today you are seen and you are held, and you are loved in your deep joy and in your deep sorrow this morning. As I was praying over what to bring to you today, a word especially for you on Mother's Day, I couldn't stop thinking about one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 139. And this Bible is a Bible that my mother gave me when I turned 30 years old. And she said, I want to give this to you today on your 30th birthday. And then for the next 10 years, I'm going to read and pray through this Bible for you and write notes in the margins. And on your 40th birthday, I'm going to give it to you. And so she's done that. 
she gave this to me on my 40th, and it's full of her, her words and her prayers and praying with dates over my life. Isn't that a beautiful gift? What a beautiful gift. And I know that that's like, oh, I'm so blessed to have this, but I want to invite you. I want you to, I want to invite you into to something like that for someone you're spiritually mothering, someone you're loving. Could you be the one who gives them such a treasure? My mother spent a lot of time, she spends a lot of time in the Psalms, and there's a lot of notes around Psalm 139. But I, I want to talk about this picture I, 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 that we see in Psalm 139. It, it's really, when I read it, 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 it feels a lot like God's love for us is very similar to the way a mother loves us. You know, when we're first born in an ideal world, we're immediately placed in our mother's arms. She can't stop looking. I know we all can picture it, that, that new mama in a whirl of emotion and crying and, and laughing. And she takes this baby in her arms and, and she's been waiting. It's this intense experience. She's loved this baby for nine months and now face to face, this encounter, this holy moment. There's nothing more beautiful in all of the world. In fact, psychiatrist Dr. Kurt Thompson says, we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. And here is the beautiful reality this morning. No matter how your life started or the way that your mother looked at you or did not look at you, the way your mother looks at you now or does not look at you, no matter the situation of your birth, God's tender gaze his tender gaze of loving kindness is ever and always upon you. We see it in the words of this breathtaking psalm, this gorgeous description of the way that you are seen and known by God and what it is to be loved by him. And so, God, we thank you for your incredible love for us this morning. And I pray for everyone in this space. I pray that all of them would be given a fresh revelation of your love for them today. They would taste and see that you are good. That any way that you've been misrepresented by the people in our lives, that you would write a new story. That you would bring your healing even today. That you would inspire us and remind us who you truly are, God, through your word. I just pray for your comfort to flow for anyone who's hurting today. Comfort them the way that you only can. Thank you that, Jesus, you weep with us and you laugh with us. Your presence is right here as close as our breath. Thank you for your presence. We trust you this morning in your name. Amen. So we're going to start in Psalm 139. I'm just going to read a few verses and talk through some of these principles with you that I see here. So verses one through three. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That's yada, the Hebrew word, Hebrew word yada, no. That's knowing in the most intimate sense. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. I, I love this picture. God's focused on you. It's this, this idea of him spending time studying you. You've searched me and you know me. He knows who you are, what makes you, you. He's attentive to you. He knows when you're sitting or when you're standing. It's very intimate, right? Very specific. When you're working, when you're resting, what you're up to. My kids used to think for a long time, they used to think I had eyes in the back of my head because I would always know what they were doing. I could hear them in the kitchen getting into something and I knew exactly what it was that they were getting into. And so I would literally say it from the other room. 
I could see what they were doing without actually seeing it. I, I was all, I'm, and on top of that, <laughs> it's this idea of, of kn- knowing their motives, knowing the movements and motives, their likes and their dislikes, their tendencies and their weaknesses. This is how God knows you, and he absolutely adores you. He also understands what you're thinking. The Hebrew word here has more the idea of understanding your thoughts than reading your mind. So it's not like this, I'm reading your mind. It's more like, I understand what you're thinking. I understand you. I get you. God's, God gets you. One of the most frustrating things in all the world is to be misunderstood, isn't it? To be misunderstood and to, to try to express your heart to someone and they don't get it. Or someone hears you say something and you didn't mean it one way and they take it on. God never misunderstands you. He always knows what you mean. When my daughter started driving, I became nearly addicted to location services. Anyone else? <laughs> I think it's worse than when I was a kid where we just like, if you weren't home by 10, then your mom would start worrying. Now you can check where they are all the time and it's a little bit scary, right? <laughs> but this is how God is with us. He knows our location. He knows where we are all of the time. And it's not because of this idea that he's trying to control it. Although he has, he holds our life in his hands. He just cares about where we are, right? He cares about where we are and where we are going and what we are doing. Like a mother, familiar with all my ways. I love this phrase. It communicates this idea of intimacy. Do you have a friend or a partner who knows what you're thinking without you even having to say it? You look across the room and you just make eye contact. When you see the same thing and all of a sudden a memory comes and you, it's this idea of this deep intimacy, this knowing. This is how God knows you. He knows the expressions on your face. He knows what you're really saying, what you really mean. I think about how mamas often know the different sounds of their baby's cries. Have you heard of that? The sound of a baby who's hungry and the sound of a baby who is teething and the sound of a baby who just wants to be around someone. A, a tired cry. You hear about these different cries. And when my littlest one was born, I remember tending to his cries and thinking so much about Romans 8, where it says that when we pray this, with groans, the spirit intercedes. There's this interpretation of our groans. And it made me think about the way that a mama listens to the cries of her baby. And knows exactly what he or she needs. In the same way, we can groan from the depths and God can understand our cries and interpret them. How beautiful the Spirit interpreting our groans. He knows your groans. You know, I discovered one of my most life giving mothering practices years ago. I'm not big on mothering advice. I, I think. Don't give me your advice until your, your kids are like 50. <laughs> then we know that they've made it through <laughs> to a certain point, right? But one of the principles that has helped me, um, I, fa- I saw on an Oprah show. Don't kill me. Um, so when my firstborn, Grace, who's sitting here in the blue, when she was firstborn, uh, I watched this interview with Toni Morrison, and it was about mothering. And she asked, when your child walks in the room, does your face light up? She explained, when my children used to walk in the room when they were little, I looked at them to see if they'd buckle their trousers or if their hair was combed or if their socks were up. You think your affection and your deep love is on display because you're caring for them. It's not. When they see you, they see the critical face. What's wrong now? They think. 
She said, let your face speak what's in your heart. When they walk in the room, my face says, I'm glad to see them. It's just as simple as that, you see? That shaped my mothering because I made a practice of every encounter that I have with my children. When they come down the stairs in the morning or when they get up in the morning and come down, come over into the kitchen, or when they come home and I'm really angry because they're late, whatever, whatever they come into my presence after school, after a game, whether I'm angry towards them or whether I'm delighted with them, I want them to see that I am glad to see them. When I am gone, I want the look on my face that they remember to be one of radiant joy and expectancy and gratefulness that they are in my proximity. And let me tell you, just this week, my little boy came in the room and his shirt was on the wrong way. He's learning how to get dressed. It would be real easy to go, oh, your shirt's on the wrong way. But the first thing I say is, oh, hey, Isaac, good morning. You got dressed all by yourself. I think maybe your shirt, check your shirt. Is it the right way? But I don't want him to first always be thinking, what's wrong with me? Or when my teenage girls come down the stairs and they're wearing something a little bit less than what I wanted them to wear. I may first say, good morning, how did you sleep? I love you, it's so good to see you this morning. They'll tell you, okay, mom, it's good to see me, it's the morning, what's the big deal? Because I want them to remember this reflection because I know that what I'm showing them is the way God sees them. God's face lights up at the sight of you. Verses four through six, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This idea of hemmed in, it's kind of old language. It's really saying that God surrounds you with his presence. I love the New Living Translations version of this. Verse 5, it says, you both precede me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. God's hand of blessings on your head. And we see this with Jesus and the little children touching them, putting his hands on their head to bless them. God gave me a living experience of this verse on a bike ride with um, my middle daughter, Kayla, when she was about seven years old. And I want to read to you from my blog post from that day. It was a bright and beautiful Saturday morning on a bike. Close your eyes and just picture this. It was at Coyote Hills, if you've ever been there. I could feel the sun on my back and the wind through my hair. The path that we took was a bit narrow, and many other bikers and pedestrians were enjoying it along with us. As Kayla was riding in front of me, I began to see some of what was coming up ahead. I realized that she wasn't aware of it. So I began to coach her from behind. Stay to the right, baby girl. Do you see that biker coming right up ahead? Oh, honey, there's a little one running with her mama. Slow down, baby girl. Be careful. I know it's hard to get up the hill. Stand up on your bike pedals and pump hard. You can do this. You can do it. Stay with it. Yay, you did it. Okay, now be careful as you descend. Ride the brakes a bit. Slow down. Good job. I love bike riding with you. There were a few moments where Kayla needed a break, so I would go to her side and be with her, resting there until she was ready to get back on. Of course, I never left her. I was always with her, and even though she wasn't sure she could make it, I knew that she could. 
at one point, Doug, my husband, was in front of her, and I was behind her, and my mind went straight to Psalm 139, the words of the psalmist, you precede me, and you follow me, and you place your hand of blessing on my head. On the bike ride that day, God gave me a visual picture of his daily, moment-by-moment presence with me. He is in front of me and behind me. He sees things I can't see, and so he whispers the way. He tells me where to go, what to do. And all the while, he's right there with me, encouraging me, inspiring me by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. This is what God does for you. The psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. How incredible. God, I can't even take this goodness to be seen and loved and known by you like this, the psalmist says. And for some of us, this feels too good to be true. Because we associate God's tender gaze with our performance. And maybe because your only experience of your mother is one of criticism. Never being quite good enough. Never quite measuring up. You can hear a voice inside your head all the time. That critic telling you what to do. What was wrong. What needs to be better. And you think that that voice is God's voice. That's not God's voice. That critical posture and expression that you picture God having is not his. Ask him to reveal to you how he's been misrepresented to you and allow him to ravish you with his love, with his tender gaze, simply because you are his beloved child. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There is nowhere you can go that God is not already there. He's always with us. There's places you've gone and you thought that maybe he's not there. He is there with you. He goes right with you, right into those dark places. Do you remember that story, the runaway bunny? Does anyone, did anyone read this to their kiddos when they were little or read it to some preschoolers in your life? Or yes, the runaway bunny. I thought about this this week. This is the way God loves us. I can't get through this book without crying. This book, um, it's poetry that tells a story of a young bunny who's anxious to leave home. <sighs> anxious to leave and adventure out into the world beyond his rabbit hole. He also discovers the unending reach of his mother's protection and love. This book always reminds me of the way that God loves and pursues and guides. If I say, verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Even in the darkness, perhaps especially in the darkness, my brothers and sisters, God is with you. When we try to hide, he is there. When we are scared, he is there. When we go to places, like I said, that we have no business being, he is there with you. When I was a little girl, I remember running to my parents' room in the middle of the night, awakened by a bad dream and just needing to get as quick as I possibly could into my mom's arms. I felt like a gazelle. I remember feeling like a gazelle through the, through the hallway, practically floating, running so fast. She taught me to speak the name of Jesus over my fear. 
in the middle of the night. She told me that at the name of Jesus, darkness flees. And to speak his name out loud to bring comfort and power in the darkness. And I still cling to that in the middle of the night. You'll still hear me saying, Jesus, I speak your name. Because darkness still hovers, doesn't it, my brothers and sisters? The darkness that hovers as a woman now in my 50s is an even darker darkness than hovered when I was a little girl, isn't it? When we're aware of all the brokenness and pain and darkness in this world. In the middle of the night, everything feels really precarious for many of us. And God is with us there. God is with us there. Like a nurturing mother, God offers you comforting presence in the dark places. And these dark places are guaranteed to be part of your story and my story. Holy Spirit is described as the comforter, the comforter. And as Jesus comforts us, we are invited to share this comfort with others. I shared this verse with you when I was here in November. It's one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. All praise belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. He always comes alongside to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring the same comfort that God has poured out on us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of you might be aware that May is Foster Care Awareness Month. So I want to pause here in the middle of this reflection on Psalm 139 and just remind you that there are kids in foster care right now in need of love and compassion. And God is inviting some of you in this room to come alongside them in their painful trials to bring his comfort. Some of you are being invited to be like that mama in a runaway bunny story for the kids in foster care right now. These children and teenagers in our community find themselves in heartbreaking situation of abuse and neglect having to be removed from their biological families because they are not safe in the place that is supposed to be the safest place. I wonder how many of them are looking for someone looking for them. I heard of um, seven kids who were waiting in a facility, a holding home, not too far from here. Six of those kids were teenage girls. Not supposed to be in this facility for more than 10 days. It had been over a month. They'd been waiting for a family to welcome them. These girls are there not because of their choices, not because they've done anything, but because someone who was supposed to protect them did not. And so they sit there waiting. And I think of them looking for someone, looking for them. And what happens when day after day and week after week, no one comes and no one calls and no one sees? What does that do to the hearts of this teenage girl? What does it do to God's heart? I believe that God is tapping on so many of his people's shoulders and saying, do you see my babies over here? Do you see these babies over here? And by babies, I mean teenage girls, teenage boys, fourth graders, second graders, newborns. And I believe he is saying, oh, my people, my people. Won't you go and show them the tender gaze that I have towards them? Won't you go be that fierce mama bear kind of love, that runaway bunny mama who says, no matter where you go, I'm going to follow you. and I'm going to find you and I'm going to welcome you home. 
right here in Alameda County, there are kids entering into foster care, more kids than there are families to welcome that. One of every two kids that comes into care is displaced from their community because there's not enough homes here. 50% of kids are displaced. San Joaquin County, Yolo County. Can you imagine being raised in Oakland and then sent to the Central Valley? What that would do? It's trauma upon trauma. And we dream of this day where we would have a waiting list of families instead of a waiting list of kids. We dream of a day where kids could stay in the neighborhoods that they were raised in, be close to their grandma, stay at their neighborhood school, be able to maintain their relationships. And I want to remind you, I have a slide that tells the long-term impact. And I've shared this with you in November. I'm going to share it again today. I will keep on sharing this from the rooftops until there's more than enough families to meet the needs of kids entering care. 50% of kids who age out, never having been welcomed into a family, 50% will deal with substance abuse. 50% will be unemployed by the time they're 24. Only 3% will get a college degree. And their vulnerability to evil men, those teenagers sitting in that facility waiting for someone to call, do you know how vulnerable they are to evil men who says, "I'll, I'll I'll give you a family? Their vulnerability to being trafficked and sexually exploited is through the roof. We believe that every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And so it matters to us. We believe that there is a church for every child, that if every church raised up one foster family and wrapped that family with four support friends, and I have a visual of that here, that there would be more than enough families. Those support friends are folks who are willing to take the journey with this foster family, to bring a meal once or twice a month, to to pray. During the pandemic, one of our foster families, um, one of the support friends for our foster family moved away. And what she did was prayer journal, all of her prayers for this family. This story ended up in adoption, and this baby was adopted by this foster family. And at the adoption day, this huge, thick prayer journal was given as a gift to the adoptive family. To support through prayer, to be carried. Because when you are in foster care, you are stepping straight into a spiritual battle. And to have people around you carrying you can make all the difference. So if you want to hear more, if you want to hear more about what, how you might be able to support a child in foster care or a foster family, we just want to invite you to come to an interest meeting. We have a couple coming up. One there, this very week on Thursday at San Lorenzo Japanese Church and another one in um, Oakland on June 12th. Please, please, if you're interested, come talk to Lauren. Andrea Lim is here with us as well. Come talk to us in the back, and we'll, we'd love to share more with you about what it could look like for you to show that child in foster care the tender gaze of a loving God through your life. For you created my inmost being, verse 13 says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God dreamed you up. You are his idea. You are his idea. And every child who finds himself in foster care is God's idea. God knit you together so intricately in your mother's womb. I love this picture of knitting. 
It's very intimate. You know, a lot of people who knit pray for the people that they're knitting for. I think of this, this intimacy. You are God's masterpiece, the crowning glory of his creation. Do you realize that you are more beautiful than the Grand Canyon, the Northern Lights, or Niagara Falls? Do you believe that? You are exquisite. And when we, we see this phrase fearfully and wonderfully made, the Hebrew psalmist is expressing that he's in awe. He's in awe of how God made him. Can you, do you, is that what you think when you look in the mirror? Wow, God, you are amazing. Look at what you made. I mean, that's literally what he's saying. He, he, he's, he's honoring himself because he was created by God. Wow, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am in awe of the privilege of being made by you and being set apart by you. And I wonder if that might become part of your practice, that in the morning, instead of saying, oh, looking at yourself and saying all the things that are wrong because the world tells you what you need to look like, be like, sound like, and God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And for you to be ravished with his love when you look at yourself in the mirror would be such a gift to him. As a parent, to hear your kids talk negatively about themselves breaks your heart, right? What would it look like to live from this place of being so adored and loved by God? To remember that we've been woven together, knit together with great purpose. We all are born into the world looking for someone looking for us, as Thompson says. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. No matter what you've been through, how well or not well you've been loved, God absolutely adores you. Your picture's on his refrigerator. You get the final rose. God's tender gaze, loving kindness is on you. And from that place of love, he invites you into his work in this world. I just want to pause for a moment and honor my kids' birth mom, Melissa Ann, and speak her name even here this morning. in gratitude for giving my kids life. There's a passage in Isaiah that I want to close with this morning. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. The picture here is of God having literally a tattoo on his hand of you. Your name is on him. It's ever before him. I just want to invite you to let this kind of love, let his love heal you. Let his love inform your parenting. Let his love guide you into the work that he has for you in the world. Just like Ephesians 2 says, you are his masterpiece. He knit you together, created you for good works in this world, to do the work that he has for you. And I don't know what that is, but I know that it's beautiful and it's brutal. It's everything. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your tender gaze is ever and always on us. 
And I pray for my brothers and sisters this week that they would even sit and soak with this psalm every day and be reminded of your incredible love. I pray that your love would heal all of our need for power and control, that your love would heal all of our need for security, that your love would heal all of our need for affection and attention and affirmation, that we would look to you and your tender gaze to give us everything that we need. All of the longings of our soul can be met in you, Jesus. And I pray that you would show us that throughout this week in palpable ways. I pray for every mama that sits in this room, that you would give her a special sense of your presence in her life, a special sense of um, awareness that she is uniquely designed to parent the kids that you've given her. I pray that we would forgive where we need to forgive. Pray for restoration where restoration needs to come into our relationships and our lives. We pray for those who are aching with empty arms this morning, that you would meet them right there. Pray for those who are just wanting to give their mom one more hug and they can't for whatever reason. God, meet them in their tender pain. Thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you that you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. And so we come to you in all that we are, our joy and our sorrow and everything in between. And we thank you that your tender, loving gaze is on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.